Father, as we come to this text and uh, we see this vision John has of this coming kingdom of the Antichrist and of the Antichrist himself, Lord, help us to uh, look at our own lives and examine our lives and figure out just where we're going to be when this time comes. Uh, Lord, are we going to be standing with you in heaven, uh, worshiping you in heaven, or uh, we gonna, are we still going to be here on this earth, Lord? Or are we going to find ourselves in Hades uh, with uh, those waiting for judgment? Lord, it's a very serious study, a very somber study uh, that we're going to be looking at today. And Lord, uh, help us to maybe see here, get some clues here as to where our nation, uh, well, the role our nation might play during this very last days that we see in the book of Revelation. So, Lord, uh, it's a fascinating study. It's a uh, troubling study, and uh, Lord, but it's also an exciting study. So I ask that you bless this study today as only you can do it by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in Jesus' name. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're in the end times, and I'm pretty sure we are. Then... The question needs to be asked, why is a superpower like the United States of America not mentioned in the prophecies about the end times? That's that's kind of troubling, and and, uh, actually I do believe we are mentioned in a couple of places, but but, uh, we'll maybe look at that later today. But there's there's lots of theories as to what happens to the United States in the last days. There are a lot of people who believe, a lot of theologians, prophecy students, prophecy scholars, who believe that in the last days that the United States suffers a great wound, uh, that we're either severely weakened or we are destroyed by some great war that precedes the Great Tribulation. and you look at the threats today that are coming against the United States from both Russia and China and from the Muslim world, and that possibility is certainly plausible that the United States will be destroyed before the Great Tribulation. Uh, Others believe that our nation won't be destroyed from the outside, but that it will be destroyed from the inside, that it will be so weaken that it will no longer be a player on the world scene. A recent Barna poll stated, or in the study, a Barna poll and study, determined that only 9% of Americans have a biblical worldview. Now, what's a biblical worldview? A biblical worldview is that you believe that this Bible is the inerrant Word of God, that you believe it from Genesis all the way to Revelation, that it's the Word of God, that you believe that Jesus Christ is God, and that you believe that there is no other name under heaven whereby man can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we believe that. Most of us in this room believe that. But there are a lot of people in the United States who do not believe that. And when you look at the age group under 40 in the United States, that same poll shows less than 4% of those under 40 who have a true biblical worldview. So you can see our country spiraling down the tubes 
as we turn from God and we turn from his word and we kind of create this God of our own making. So uh, certainly the possibility of the United States destroying itself from within is, is on the table. The third possibility uh, of our fate in the very last days is that we willingly join this one world godless secularistic uh, government of the Antichrist and we become one of the kingdoms that the Antichrist rules during the last days. Now I believe that's a strong possibility because if you look at our last presidential election actually Hillary Clinton won 53% of the popular vote. Now, and she barely won the primary the system by beating an avowed socialist named Bernie Sanders. And so you can see that more and more our population is crying out for a secular socialistic government. Uh, and, and certainly... Clinton fits the bill because she believes in uh, that uh, the, the village, you know, raises your children. That means that the government raises your children. She be, believes in a nation without borders, and most socialists do. And if, if you have a nation without borders, then that means you have to become part of some world. There has to be a government somewhere. So you're more than likely going to become part of some type of one world government. And I see some really troubling clouds on the horizon. And in the coming elections in the next few years, we're going we're gonna to see what direction America turns. And, and if this, this wave takes place that they're saying is going to take place, we could very well be a socialist state within the next four years. And that's pretty scary. And that socialist state would certainly uh, go along with the, the idea of a one-world government and the idea of the Antichrist uh, ruling uh, uh, over that government and over this nation. So that's a possibility. There's one other possibility. I wish this was true. I don't really think this possibility is going to take place. But some people believe that we're going to have this great spiritual revival in America. And I don't know about you, but I'm praying for spiritual revival in America. And I hope that happens. And, 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 and a revival so strong that we become morally strong again. Uh, and we resist this spirit of Antichrist. And, and, and if that happens, then we will be strong, and we will stand against the spirit of Antichrist until the rapture takes place. But now if you believe in the rapture, then all of the people who are revived are going to be out of here, and so then the United States is probably going to fall into the hands of the Antichrist. So there's all sorts of scenarios as to what happens to the United States in the last days. We can't be sure. But as we dig deeper here into the book of Revelation today and, and we look at this rise of the Antichrist, we're certainly going to get some clues as to the fate of the United States in the very last days. So this is really a, you know, a thought-provoking study. So, so hang in there with me and, and follow me through this. And you're going to, one of the things you're going to see as we go through this exercise of going back and forth between Revelation and Daniel, what you're going to see is how how supernaturally all of this ties together. And you can get a really good picture of what's going to happen in the last days if you tie the Olivet Discourse, which we're not going to get into today, today but if you tie that with the rest of the, pro the prophets along with Daniel and with Revelation, you get a great 
a really clear picture. People say, well, you can't study Revelation. You really can't understand what's going to happen. I believe you can. If you tie all of the books together, I believe you can get a really good idea of what's going to happen, uh, not only to the world, but even to the United States in the very last days before the Lord comes. So go with back with me, and, and let's go, go back to where we were last time, to Revelation chapter 13, verse number 1, and listen to what he says. He says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea. Now John's back on earth again. He goes back and forth between heaven and earth as he has this vision. And he's standing on the sand of the seas on the island of Patmos. And all of a sudden he sees the water stirring. And he says, I saw a beast rising up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns. And on the horns ten crowns. And on his heads a blasphemous name. Now we established last time that the seven heads more than likely the seven continents of this world. And the ten horns, the horns represent leaders, and so their leaders, uh, they have ten crowns, so they're leaders of this one world government in the last, last days, and on its head is a blasphemous name. We don't know exactly what that name is, but it's Antichrist, we know that. It could be the Christian Socialist Party, and it names the name of Christ while at the same time denying the power of Christ, and so it's blasphemous. All right, now, last week, we established that the word beast, you're looking at the word beast here, is symbolic of both the Antichrist and the kingdom of the Antichrist. And that, that symbolism fits perfectly what we see in the minor prophets and in the rest of the Bible, especially in the book of Daniel. You remember in the book of Daniel, and let's hold your place in Revelation, and we're going to come back and forth, so you've got to hang, hold your place there. And go to Daniel chapter 2. And let me tell you what's going on in Daniel chapter 2. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he saw this giant. And this giant represented all the empires of the world throughout history. The head was a head of gold. And what did that represent? It represented Babylon. The chest was silver. And what did that represent? It represented the empire of Persia that came after Babylon. The waste was the waste of bronze, and it represented Greece, which was the empire that came after Persia. And then the legs were the legs of iron, and that represented the empire that came after Greece. And what was the empire that came after Greece? Rome. Now, then you see the feet of the giant, and that's where we want to get to today. The feet of the giant are made of iron and clay. Now, if the last empire is, is Rome, which represents iron, and we get this, the feet, who are the, which represents the last empire before the Antichrist comes, or really it's the kingdom of the Antichrist. Actually, the Antichrist is on the scene when this empire arises. And his feet are made of iron, and that tells you that this giant is partly Rome. And so this, this is where scholars get this idea and I think rightly so, of a revived Roman Empire in the last days. And I'm going to prove that point to you a little bit later, so hang on to that. But it has, it's not only made of iron, it's made of clay. So it's made up of the other nations of the world. And so you have this confederation of nations, and then we're going to see that the whole giant is destroyed by Jesus Christ and his coming, all of the empires of the world. I mean, he, he's in control of history, and so he brought down Babylon, he brought down Persia, he brought down Greece, he brought down Rome, and he's going to bring down this revived Roman Empire. So where I want to pick up today is in chapter 2, 
at least in Daniel. I'm going to pick up in chapter 2, and I want you to look at verse number 40. Chapter 2, verse number 40. All right, now, and the fourth kingdom, and, and when I'm picking up in verse 40, what I'm doing, I'm going back to the fourth kingdom, which is the kingdom of Rome, okay? Because I, I want you to see how this goes into the, the kingdom of the Antichrist or turns into the kingdom of the Antichrist. Look at verse number 40. It says, And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, and shatters everything like iron. Now, you think about iron, it's very hard. Uh, it's unbreakable, and that means it's unstoppable. There's nothing that could stop the power of Rome in its heyday. And, and this new kingdom is going to be like the kingdom of Rome. It says that... it. it it says it shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others, and Rome will rule the world. Now, when we come to verse 41, we come to the kingdom of the Antichrist in the last days, right before Jesus Christ returns. Listen to what he says in 41. He says, whereas you saw the feet of the giant and the toes, they're partly a potter's clay. And when you think of clay, what do you think of? You think of something that's pliable, uh, it's shapeless. You try to put it into shape, and if you squeeze it, it comes out of shape unless you put it in a kiln. And so, so it's, it, it's really not solid at all. And so what we're seeing here, we're going to see a revived Roman Empire made up of Rome and other nations who really aren't that solid. And that's how the Antichrist is going to come into power. So he says, Whereas you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength will be the iron. It will have the strength of the iron shall be in it. Just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. Now go to verse 42. And as the toes of the feet were uh, partly iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. Now that's a picture of the kingdom of the Antichrist. And that tells you how easy it's going to be for the Antichrist to take power. Now, and so we know that it's going to be a one-world government. We know that from, from, flip back to Revelation. Hold your place right there. Flip back to Revelation and look at verse number 7 of chapter 13. He says, it was granted to him, to the Antichrist, to make war with the saints. To the, and this is really talking about the elect, to those of Israel. And to overcome them, and authority was given to them to given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so we know that this is a one-world government. Go back to Daniel now. Hold your place in Revelation. Hold your place in Daniel chapter 2. And then flip, to, see if you, you got how many fingers you got here. And then flip over to Daniel chapter 7. And look down at verse 23. I'm just going to show you that this is a one-world kingdom. Look in Daniel chapter 7, hold your place down at verse number 23. I mean, go to verse number 23, and let's read there. So he said, then he said, the fourth beast. Now, there's going to be four big kingdoms at the beginning of the tribulation. We're going to look at those kingdoms a little bit later on. But the fourth kingdom in the last days, this will be the kingdom of the Antichrist. And he's going to describe that kingdom now. He says, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. And it shall devour, how much of the earth? The whole earth. And so it's going to take over the whole world. And it will trample it to pieces 
Uh, and the ten horns are the ten kings. Now, now that should ring a bell. Remember Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. That's the kingdom of the Antichrist. There's going to be a kingdom. And let me tell you, there's going to be, there's going to be ten rulers of that kingdom. And there's going to be three rulers that are going to have most of the power. We don't know exactly who they are right now. But the Antichrist is going to overcome those three rulers. He's going to defeat them. And he's going to take power over all ten kingdoms. So that's, that's, a, that's what he's telling us here. He says in verse 24, The ten horns of the ten kings who shall rise from this kingdom, this kingdom of iron. Uh, and so we know it's a revived Roman Empire. And he says, another shall rise after them, and he shall be different from the first one. And he shall subdue the three kings who are wielding all the power. And then he, he commits the abomination of desolations. We'll talk about that again. We've talked about it already. And we heard about that in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24. But look at verse 25. He says, he shall speak pompous words against God Almighty, against the Most High. He shall persecute the elect of the Most High, which is Israel, and shall intend to change times and laws. I'm not going to get into that today. We discussed that when we were in Daniel. He says, then the saints, or the elect, will be given into his hand for a time and time and times and a half time. That's three and one half years. The last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. We know in Revelation chapter 11 what happens. You've got two witnesses, and they're witnessing to Israel, and they're trying to warn Israel of the Antichrist. He's already established his kingdom. We're in the middle of the Great Tribulation, and they're trying to warn uh, the Antichrist that, I mean, they're trying to warn, the two witnesses are trying to warn the world against the Antichrist, and then he commits the abomination of desolation. He, he kills the two witnesses, and he comes into the temple, and he declares himself to be God. Look at the, And this fits with, with what we have here in Daniel, verse 25. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the elect of the Most High, and he shall attend to, intend to change the times and the laws, and the saints shall be given into his hand for three and a half years. Now go back. Here's the good news. He's not going to rule forever. Go back to Daniel chapter 2, if you held your finger there. If not, you can find it. It's just a few chapters back. And go to verse 43. In verse 43, he says, And you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay. They will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another. So the Antichrist is going to have some trouble. He's going to have some nations that rebel against him. And that's why I said earlier, some people believe that one of those nations will be the United States of America. If we're still on the scene, then that might possibly happen. The only way that's going to happen is if we have some type of revival, some great revival in this country, and we, we restore our nation back to what it was years ago. Whether that happens or not, we'll see. But uh, anyway, he says, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in those days, in verse 44, and, and in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set. Here's the good news. When all of this starts happening, we know, look up, because your redemption draweth nigh. The Lord's about to come. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. What kingdom is that? That's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. In other words, he will be a despot. He will rule with an iron fist. 
He will be the King of kings and Lord of lords and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in that day. And, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall, it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever and ever and ever. Inasmuch as, verse 45, inasmuch as you saw the stone that was cut out of the mountain, that's what Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream, that's the rock of ages, none other than Jesus Christ, the stone may cut out of mountains without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the, to the king that what will come to pass after this, the dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. It is all of that, every bit of that is going to happen. So see, here in Daniel, we get a synopsis of all the end-time events. Actually, we get a synopsis of all of world history. And in all of world history, Jesus Christ is in total control. And in the end, he's going to come, and he's going to destroy all of these kingdoms, and he's going to sit on his throne, and he's going to rule from Jerusalem as king of kings and lord of lords. Now, if you kept your finger in Revelation, keep your finger in Daniel, because we're coming back. And go back to Revelation... And let's look at this amazing verse, verse number 2, Revelation 13. You've got to hang with me here. There's some really interesting stuff coming, and you all look like you're hanging, so that's good, but you've got to keep hanging because it's, it's difficult, but, but you, you'll clear up maybe some uh, difficulty you're having understanding the whole flow of the book of Revelation. So, so hang with me in verse number 2. He says, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his throne and his great authority. And we know who the dragon is. The dragon is the devil himself, and he's the one who gives the Antichrist his power. Now, who are these three animals? Why these particular Three animals. Well, there's a lot of expositors who say that these three animals are symbolic of the kingdoms that are seen in Daniel's dream, or, or Nebuchadnezzar's dream, of the giant. I got a real problem with that. They try to tie them to Babylon and Persia and Greece. I've got a real problem with that because there's more than three kingdoms in that dream. And so which ones do you tie it to? And I, I think if that was the symbolism that was being given here, we would have five animals, not three animals, because there are five kingdoms counting the kingdom of the Antichrist. So, so I've got a problem with that interpretation. Now, in Daniel 7, we see these very three beasts on the scene. We see the bear and the leopard, and we, I'm missing one, the lion, the bear and the leopard and the lion. And, and, uh, uh, but there's four in Daniel 7. There's four, and one's missing in this interpretation. I want you to think about that a minute. Which one is missing and why are they missing? Well, let's, let's go to Daniel chapter 7. You've got to go to Daniel 7 to understand the symbolism that's used in Revelation chapter 13. 
Everybody with me so far? Keep your place in Revelation 13 and all over Daniel. You can put your fingers in there because we're heading all over that place. All right, go, go to Revel Daniel chapter 7 and look at verse number 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed when he wrote down his dream telling the main facts. Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night and behold, I, we're going to have to stop on this verse here because it's very critical. And behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring the great sea. Now what's the great sea? What's the great sea that's stirring? We've established that the sea represents the peoples of the earth, the nations of the earth. And so Daniel has this dream, and he sees the nations being stirred. The four winds are blowing, and the nations are being stirred. Now I want you to think about that a minute. And then I want you to flip back to Revelation chapter 7. Y'all hang with me today, you're, you're really good Bible students. Go back to Revelation chapter 7, and y'all will remember this. In Revelation chapter 7, we see a scene in heaven right before the great tribulation begins. Revelation chapter 7. Hang on to Daniel chapter 7. See if you can follow me here. Revelation chapter 7, look at verse number 1. He says, After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. Everybody in Revelation 7, 1. All right, now you remember when we were in Revelation chapter 7, we talked about this verse, and what this verse is, it's a picture of the angels holding back this great war that's going to usher in the great tribulation. So there's a war coming before the great tribulation that's going to usher in the kingdom of the Antichrist. Okay, now you see the angels holding back the wind here and holding back uh, this war. But then you come to Daniel chapter 7. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 7 and read it again. And Daniel spoke and he saw in his vision of night and behold, the four winds of heaven weren't being held back anymore. They were stirring up the great sea. Now, so what's happening in Daniel's vision, this war that brings about the kingdom of the Antichrist is about to take place. And now he's going to tell us the players in this war, this war in the last days. He says, and four great beasts came up from the sea. All at once they come up from the sea, from the nations, to face one another in a war, each different from the other. So you see four great beasts that come up from the sea and they're about to, to go to war uh, with each other. Now, let's look at these beasts. The first was like a lion. Now, let's go back to my hypothesis that we, I believe we're living in the very last days. Right before this war, or possibly right before this war takes place. Now, if we're given the four nations or symbols of the four nations that participate in this war and we're living in the day that this war might take place, 
then we ought to be able to identify the nations in this picture that Daniel gives us or in this vision that Daniel gives us in chapter number 7. The first, verse number 4, the first was like a line, a line that sprouted eagle's wings. Now, if you know anything about Great Britain and you want to go get on, on a on Wikipedia after you get out of here and look for the symbol, the animalistic symbol of Great Britain. It is a line, a line that sprouted eagle's wings. And those eagle wings support the line because you're going to see, I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand by itself on two feet. No longer could it rely on the wings of the eagle. And a man's heart was given to it. It had to be, it be like a man now. It couldn't count on the eagle to protect it and to bail it out of trouble when it got into trouble. Now, if the line, I believe, is Great Britain, what nation who has the symbol of an eagle sprang forth from Great Britain? The United States of America. So what we're getting right here is a picture of Great Britain in this war, and it begins the war. It has support of the United States, but the United States is plucked from Great Britain. It's, the wings are plucked. That indicates to me that more than likely the United States is defeated or destroyed in this war. I, I, I know, you, you know, this isn't going to make your dinner at Piccadilly's that good, but but I believe that's what we're, we're seeing right here. It's kind of scary stuff. And so it's made to stand on its two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. Great Britain's going to have to stand on its own. It, it, didn't, it was standing on its own against Germany, and what happened to it? It, was cons it would have been consumed by Germany in World War II if the United States hadn't come to its aid. And so in this war, it's not, the wings are going to be plucked, and it's not going to have the help of the United States, and so it's going to have to stand up on its own like a man. And who's it going to face? Well, look in verse number 5. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, was raised up. Now, does anybody know who, what uh, nation is symbolized by a bear? I mean, it's, it's obvious. I mean, you, you look on the, uh, about five different covers of Newsweek, and you'll see the giant Russian bear with that red hammer and sickle right above its head. Uh, there's no doubt that this is speaking, if this is a prophecy of the times right before the Antichrist, there's no doubt that this is speaking of the Russian bear. And the Russian bear is going to come against, I believe, against the United States. You know, it's really interesting. Russian planes have been buzzing the United States lately, and they, those planes, I forget the exact name of the plane, but their they're name bear, is part, their bombers are called the Russian bears. Uh, bear something, some number. I don't remember the number. But they're actually testing our uh, uh, defense, uh, anti-aircraft defenses, our radar, to see if we, you know, just how far they can penetrate before uh, we actually uh, return, uh, shoot them down. And as yet, we haven't shot any of them down, but... but uh, uh, Russia's bragging about having a missile that can uh, overcome our uh, defense systems. And so, you know, no doubt 
There's no doubt that Russia is going to be involved in this war. And I think when you tie this to Ezekiel 38 and 39, when this Russia, this coalition of Russian nations along with this, uh, I mean, this coalition of uh, Muslim nations along with Russia come against Israel right before the uh, Great Tribulation, then very well that fits this war right here that Daniel's speaking of in, in Daniel chapter 7. And now we see that, anyway, let me read, finish reading 5. He says, and I, suddenly another beast, uh, a second, like a bear, is raised up from one side and it had three ribs in its mouth. It's already devoured three nations with its teeth. And they said thus to it, arise, devour much more flesh, much flesh. And a lot of people are going to be killed in this war. And after this, I looked, and there was another like a leopard, which was on its back, which on its back had four wings of a bird, and, and the, that beast also had four heads. So we know that's a coalition of four nations. Uh, Afghanistan, a couple of other Muslim nations have the leopard as their symbol. So this very well could be a coalition that, of Muslim nations that join Russia against Israel and against England and against the United States. Uh, and so you have this war. Some, Germany also has the, the symbol of a leopard, uh, so some people believe it's a coalition of some of those uh, German states. So uh, we, we can't be sure but, uh, about the leopard. And we can't be sure about the bear or the eagle or the, or the lion, but, boy, if that's the last-day scenario, and I believe it is, uh, certainly that pattern would, or certainly that scenario would fit. Now, it's out of this war the Antichrist arises. So look at verse number 7. And I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast. And this is the kingdom of the Antichrist. Dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, and it had huge iron teeth. There's that revived Roman Empire. It was devouring and breaking in pieces and trampling the residue. Now, what's a residue? That which is left over from this war between these other nations, the Antichrist is going to come on the scene and he's going to take over everything at that point. The whole world is going to be weakened by this war. Now, if, if, if Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, Russia is winning this war, and then how are they destroyed? God destroys them. And so you can see how this would open up the way for the Antichrist in, in a revived Roman Empire to come and take over the rest of the world because the United States is gone, England's pretty much destroyed, Russia's destroyed, and now you've got Europe. And that's where a lot of people believe that the Antichrist will spring from, from the Roman Empire, from, that, uh, from the city of Rome, and from, from Europe, and uh, he will be this fourth beast with iron teeth. And it was devouring, breaking pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had, look at that, ten horns. There's those ten horns again, which are ten kingdoms, and the, and the ten horns have ten crowns. The same thing we see in Revelation chapter 13. So flip back now to the book of Revelation. Hold your place in Daniel, because we're going to come there one more time before we finish. I'm going to try to get you through here on time here. But anyway, hang with me. Verse chapter Go back to chapter 13. Now, you see all this ties together. So, when we get to Revelation chapter 2, the Antichrist is on his scene. 
and he takes over the residues of these nations which have virtually destroyed themselves in this great war, the leopard, the lion, and the bear. And that's what you see there in Revelation chapter 2. Not only does he take over the nations, he takes over the characteristics of these nations. The bear who is ferocious and, and uh, destructive. I mean, the lion who roars and kills. I mean, the leopard who's, full of, who's faster than lightning. I mean, he, he takes on all of these characteristics in this one world army and this one world government. And you can see how the world will embrace him because the world, after they see all of this nuclear destruction and all of this waste and all of these destroyed nations, they're going to want peace. And they're going to want a man of peace. And that's why when you go back to the first part of Revelation, the first part you see, uh, you see the uh, Antichrist riding in on a white horse. And he's going to come riding in on a white horse. Now look at verse number 3. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed after the beast. Now... There's two possible explanations of that because there's two ways to interpret the beast. You can interpret the beast as the Antichrist or you can interpret the beast as the kingdom of the Antichrist. So it could be that the Antichrist himself suffers this head wound and then miraculously he's healed, supernaturally he's healed, and the whole world uh, marvels and follows after the beast. It could be that the nation itself is, is destroyed and then is miraculously healed and then the whole world marvels after the beast. We're not, we can't be sure about that. In any case, it's going to be something that's been destroyed or a person who's been destroyed, and then they're going to be supernaturally revived. That's why some people believe that the beast, and I don't agree with this, but some people believe that the beast is Russia because you have the USSR, which was supposedly, you know, uh, destroyed, not destroyed, but uh, totally uh, split apart. And then all of a sudden now you see, it be, you see it being brought back together. So some people believe that that's the, the wound, the beast is wounded and it comes back together. I don't think so. I think more than likely this is the Antichrist who is, is uh, suddenly uh, revived after he has a deadly head wound. Uh, some people tie this to the fact that the Roman Empire is revived, that it was, uh, that it, seem to have died off and now it is supernaturally raised up in the last days. We can't be sure about that. Then in verse number four, he says, so they worship, watch this now. They, who's the they? The people, the sea of people, the people on this earth. They worship the dragon. Who's the dragon? The devil who gave authority to the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And so, uh, in, the, in the Great Tribulation, at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, you have the sea of people, the whole population of the world, and they worship the beast. And they worship Satan, who gives power to the beast. Some worship him in adoration, some worship him in capitulation uh, because they capitulate to the fact that, I mean, who's able to make war with him? Who's able to stand with him? I mean, we can't resist him. And so they just, they don't adore him in worship, but they capitulate to him. And 
I've got news for you. Capitulation ends up being the same thing as adoration because you submit to the authority of the beast, then you're worshiping the beast. You're bowing a knee to the beast, whether you capitulate or whether you adore the beast. You know, there's a lesson there because I believe that's what's exactly what's happening in the United States of America today. I, I, we have people who are supposedly good moral people who have capitulated over and over and over again to the demands of immoral people. And the result is in our nation we have things like, I mean, just look around. In fact, you're seeing legislation about it right now. Legal drug use in America. Who would ever thought you would have that in the United States of America? They're trying to get it in Louisiana right now. It starts out, how do they do it? Capitulate to the, to the medical use of marijuana. Then it becomes to the leisure use of marijuana. And the next thing will be to the, to the medical use of cocaine and the leisure use of cocaine. And so we capitulate over and over and over again and so that we've got uh, all sorts of things that have been legalized in the United States that we never would have thought would have been legalized. And by capitulating, we bow down and we've submitted to the beast. And, and in, that, in, in some respects, that means we are worshiping the beast. I mean, when we go to movies and we watch movies, when we cut on our television and we watch things that we know are not godly things, we capitulate, we bow down to that television set. We bow down to the beast instead of saying, I'm cutting that off. And if everybody in America who had any moral fiber in them would just shut those things off, they couldn't afford to put them on television. They couldn't afford to sell those movies. They would only have movies like I can only imagine because that's what people would watch. But we capitulate over and over again. Well, it's just not that bad, so I'm going to go pay 10 bucks to watch this movie. But we're capitulating when we do that. Let me give you one example. The University of Tennessee this week, I don't know if you've read about, the, about what's going on there, but they're having what they call Sex Week at the University of Tennessee. And during Sex Week, what they're going to be doing is they're going to be having uh, all sorts of pornographic videos being shown, and then they're going to give seminars on things like bestiality and sodomy and group sex. And all of that is being funded by the state of Tennessee. And the legislators at Tennessee are in an uproar, but it looks like they're not going to be able to do anything about it because they don't want to offend too many people. They don't, want to, they don't want to really take a stand. And so, in essence, by not doing anything, they're capitulating. And when we capitulate, then that becomes the norm, and then we end up worshiping and adoring the beast himself. And if we worship the beast, the Antichrist spirit, then we're worshiping the Antichrist, and we're worshiping the devil. And that's what's happening in America. I mean, you don't see the church of Satan on every street, but you see a lot of churches who might as well have that on their, built, on their marquee out front. Hey, we worship Satan because we worship a God different from the God of this Bible. And we give in to different things because of the pressures of society, and we end up capitulating, and we end up bowing a knee to Satan. Now, the last couple of verses here that he has, he says, and he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months, for three and a half years. Now, that's the first half of the tribulation. He comes in at the beginning. He takes power after this great war. 
and he remains in power for seven years. And the first, during the first three and a half years, he's worshipped as this man of peace. He's brought peace to the world. He's brought peace to Israel. He's brought peace to the world. And he will boast about his ability to bring about this peace. And I believe, we're going to look at the false prophet in our next study, but I believe that the beast and the false prophet at that point promote a universalistic God, a deistic God. But yet they, give, they attribute all the success of this peace to themselves and not to God, and thereby they blaspheme the true and living God of the Bible. Now that goes on for the first three and a half years. From our earlier study in Revelation, what happens in the middle of the Great Tribulation? The two witnesses are killed, and then as Jesus speaks, he says in the middle of the Tribulation, Jesus says the same thing in the Olivet Discourse. What happens? Then the Antichrist comes in, he kills the two witnesses, and he declares himself to be God. And he blasphemes the name of Christ, and he blasphemes his tabernacle, and he blasphemes uh, the tabernacle of God is the church, so the church that's on earth, the tribulation saints, and the church that's in heaven. And that's exactly what he says here. He says in verse number 6, then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. I mean, he doesn't just teach a universalistic, deistic God at this point. He blasphemes the God of heaven. And, and he, he says, and he opened his mouth to, in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. That's me. We're the church. We're going to be those who dwell in heaven. The saints of God who have gone on in the rapture to be with God at that point. He's going to blaspheme the church, and he's going to blaspheme the church that's left here, the true church that's left here on earth, and he's going to persecute that church. Now, Daniel gives us a few more details about this event over in Daniel chapter 9. So flip with me to Daniel 9. And y'all listen very well today. It's been a tough lesson, so good. You'll... I wish I had another hour to go over Daniel 9 with you. Because in Daniel 9 is one of the most amazing prophecies in the entire Bible. I'm not going to get into the details of Daniel 9, but in Daniel 9, Daniel actually predicts the very day, the very day that Jesus rides that donkey into Jerusalem and he's presented as the king of Israel. He predicts the very day. And we, we're not going to those calculations, but, but it's an absolutely amazing prophecy. And I want to pick up in verse number 24. He says, Seventy weeks are determined for your people and your holy city. Seventy weeks are seven uh, periods of, uh, I mean, 70 periods of seven. The week in Hebrew can mean just seven. So there's 70 sevenths, 400, in this, in this thing, it's actually 70, 70, it'd be 490 years. But I'm going to get into all those calculations. But go to verse 26. That's where I want to pick up today. He says, and after the 62 weeks, or seven, uh, 62 times 7, uh, Messiah will be cut off. I'm not going to get into those calculations, but he predicts the very day it happens. He will be cut off. Now, how, when was the Messiah cut off? He was cut off 
when Jesus was crucified on the cross. And Daniel predicts this to the day. But not for himself. Isn't that cool? Jesus wasn't cut off for himself. He said, you don't take my life from me, I give my life. He gave his life for you and me. He, he, nobody took his life. He was cut off, not for himself, he was cut off for you and me. Now, here's an amazing prophecy right here. Anybody wants to argue with you about whether this is a revived Roman Empire or not, take them to the book of Daniel right here, because this prophecy proves that this is a revived Roman Empire that we're talking about, this kingdom of the Antichrist. Look, look at the next part of this verse. It says, and the people of the prince who is to come. Now, the Messiah is cut off. Who's the prince who is to come? The Antichrist. The people, of, where, he says, the people of the, of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and its sanctuary. That's what took place in 70 A.D. when Titus came in. After Jesus was cut off, the Romans destroyed the city and the temple. All right, now, the Romans are the, he says, are the people of the prince to come. You, you see how you put that together? So we know that the Antichrist comes from Rome, and I believe his prophet comes from Rome. And we'll be looking at that later. All right. And then it says, the end shall be with a flood until the end of the war of desolations are determined. Then he shall, watch this, watch verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. He is the Antichrist. He's going to confirm a covenant for one week, one seven-year period, or, or, or seven years. But in the middle of the week, see all this ties together here. In the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. He's going to kill the two witnesses. He's going to come and make war against the two witnesses. And then he's going to de declare himself to be God. And that's the abomination of desolations. So it says, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Now, what's the abomination of desolations? One last passage. Revelation chapter 11. Go to verse, and I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 11. I made you go way back over there. Go to, I'm just testing you, see if you know where Daniel is now. Daniel chapter 11. And this is exactly what we're told in Revelation 13, 6. I could have, we could have gone to Revelation, and you could have looked back at that. But look what happens. It says, then the king, the Antichrist, shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt, he shall exalt and magnify himself above every god and speak blasphemy against the God of gods, Jesus, or against Jehovah. And she shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. Now that is the same event that's described in Revelation 13, verse number 6. It's the Antichrist comes on the scene, he kills the two witnesses in the middle of the tribulation, and he declares himself to be God. And then all hell breaks loose on this earth. 
And that's why Jesus said at that point, if you're a Jew, you better flee. Pray it's not on the Sabbath. You get caught off guard. Pray you're, pray you're not nursing a child. And, and, and at that point, you know, you don't want to be burdened with anything. You need to flee, flee to the mountains because the Antichrist is out to kill you at that point. And there will be a holocaust, but there will be a third of the Jews that are saved at that point. We're told that in the book of Zechariah. So, is that me? <laughs> I used to get mad at people, but then I had to check make sure it wasn't mine going off. Yvonne always was the one who had hers going off. I'm teasing. All right. So, where is the United States when all of these great, terrible events take place leading up to the wonderful event of the coming of the Lord? Personally, you want my take? I'm going to give it to you whether you want it or not. I believe we're either wiped out or we are weakened to the point that we are assimilated into the kingdom of the Antichrist. That's bad news. That's really bad news. When is that going to happen? Soon. How soon? I wouldn't be surprised if it happens to us in the next 10 years. 50 years, maybe 100 years. I can't, you know, nobody can be sure when it's going to happen. You know, actually, it's amazing to me that God still lets us exist now. That he hasn't taken out his own and, and wiped this country out because we are, a lot of people believe that the United States is, is the whore of Babylon in Revelation chapter 17 that's destroyed. We'll talk about that when we get to Revelation chapter 17. But you just watch the news today. And the United States is becoming more and more anti-Christ by the minute. I mean, every day we capitulate more and more to this spirit of anti-Christ. I mean, it's, it's, it's really sad. And I don't know how much longer God's going to allow us to go on. Just one example, I read an article during Easter about how the chair of the New Testament Studies Department at Holy Cross University, I, I read a piece of his article, and I, I, I'm not going to get any details, but he, he claims that Jesus was a drag queen with queer desires. He tries to prove that in his Bible. And it gets worse, much, much worse than that. And I, I got to say, we're a sick country to even allow anybody to speak words like that. Let alone chair the New, studies, New Testament Studies Department of a major seminary and university in the United States of America. And that's only the tip of the iceberg. I mean, you can hear things like that every day, 
every single day. If you, if you want to look for them, you can find them. And at some point, if we keep capitulating to this spirit of Antichrist, we're going to be judged. This nation is going to be judged. Whether, whether you believe in the Great Tribulation or not, this nation is going to be judged. And you and I better be watching. We better not be sitting back and allowing these things to go on in our families and our lives and not do something about it. I mean, I think our only, the only hope for this nation, and I believe it would only be a temporary hope, is that we have some sort of major revival. And you know, the sad thing is, revival is a choice. Revival begins with people who, who, who come to a point where they're humiliated to the point or troubled to the point that they turn to the Lord. And people in the United States, I don't know what it's going to take to get people to sincerely turn to the Lord. I mean, we want to pray for revival, but I, I doubt we're going to have the kind, I think we'll have some revivals, but I, I doubt we'll have the kind of revival that will bring this nation back to its roots. I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're going to see things get worse and worse and worse and worse, and that's bad, bad news. But let me give you the good news. If you're part of that 9% who believe that Jesus is God, that he died for your sins, that he is the only way to heaven, and you've been born again, you're not going to be judged, and you're not going to be condemned. And there's still good news if you don't believe that. You can believe it, and you can get saved, and you won't be condemned. But judgment is coming. I mean, that's not... And what anybody wants to hear, but, but judgment is coming. Hopefully, we've got some time, and hopefully uh, God's going to use us uh, to, to stand up. To stand up. I mean, stand up in our schools, stand up in our society, stand up in our homes, stand up in our churches, and proclaim Jesus Christ as God. And call what's good, good, and what's evil, evil. If we don't, we're capitulating to the Antichrist. We're capitulating to the beast, and that means we're capitulating to Satan himself. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. It's a strong word, Lord, a convicting word. And, Lord, I know there's so little that we can do as we see our nation crumble before our very eyes. But, Lord, one thing we can do is pray. Pray seriously for revival. Lord, let it begin with us. Let us take our life, our relationship with you, Lord, make it the most, and make it the most serious thing in our lives. Lord, help us to, to be full of your spirit. Help us to have the power to take a stand in this lost and dying world. Help us to turn as many as we can away from iniquity. And Lord, we thank you for the hope, the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, as your word says, when we see these troubles come, Lord, to look up because our redemption draws nigh through you, our Savior and our Lord. It's in Christ's precious name that I pray. Amen.